If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Uh, while you're opening there, uh, by, by way of introduction, um, here's something you've probably never wondered about. Why is the book of Esther in the Bible? Have you ever wondered about that? <laughs> Why? Uh, why is the book of Esther there? Uh, have, maybe don't raise your hands necessarily, but maybe with some head nods. Have, have you ever read the book of Esther or studied it? It's fairly short. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, women's studies flow through Esther, um, which is fine. Uh, I think sometimes some men should study Esther too, uh, but that's okay. Um, uh, the reason why I ask is because the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. You can go through the whole thing, test me if you want, and you will not find the name of God. In fact, I tried so hard in my Hebrew 4 class at Erskine Seminary under a man you might know, Max Roglin, who's the, uh, uh, the pastor at uh, uh, Rose Hill PCA. Uh, he, uh, just, just over there in Rosewood, and uh, I wrote a, a very, very long paper with blood, sweat, and tears, sometimes quite literally, on how you might coax out of the text in certain areas, perhaps an allusion to the name of God. I still think I'm right, but Dr. Roglin said, no, no, you're not. <laughs> he is my Hebrew professor after all, and so I might lean towards him a little bit, but, but why? Why then is the book of Esther uh, um, uh, found to be within this Holy Spirit preserved corpus that we call God's very word if God isn't mentioned. And the point is simple. Just because God isn't mentioned or just because God isn't seen does not mean that God is not at work. Something that's very important for us to grasp, and I think it's actually one of the primary reasons that the book of Esther remains within the corpus by the Spirit's blessing, because there's no other way. Uh, if I was a scholar looking at this, and you said, what should you keep and what shouldn't you? I'd say, listen, that's got to be one of the first to go. But it was preserved generation in and generation out, manuscript after manuscript, as, as uh, uh, those who were preserving these things by the Spirit's blessing said, this is the very Word of God, and it's profitable for teaching and for rebuke, for admonishment. It's profitable for all these things that we might excel in Christian life. And Paul here in Ephesians 1 Verses 13 and 14 hits on a very, very close mark to the book of Esther. Our main point is that the Holy Spirit is at work encouraging his people. But what does he look like? You don't know. Because he's a spirit. He cannot be seen. But that does not mean that he is not at work in the lives of believers. And we'll see that very clearly in verses 13 and 14 today. Let me pray, and then we will go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Would, would you by your Holy Spirit 
though unseen, oh, so powerful, move and work in our lives today. Allow us to be ones who leave this place changed. And by changed, I mean with sin revealed, removed, and with righteousness restored, regained, and pursued. God, please do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him all, uh, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, this word remains forever. And, and just as reminder, uh, we, we've got four points that will help us to see that the Holy Spirit is at work encouraging his people. Uh, these four points uh, are as follows. The Holy Spirit helps us in hearing the good news, the very word of God. The Holy Spirit helps us in believing uh, the very word of God, the good news. The Holy Spirit helps us by sealing this very word, this, this gospel, by sealing it into our souls. And then finally, the Holy Spirit helps us and encourages us by guaranteeing our salvation. The very word of God, that is, that bears out in the gospel. Um, quickly, uh, encouragement. Remember, this is a sermon series. Encouragement, Ephesians and you. Uh, encouragement is positive forward movement. And just as I prayed, it's, it's positive forward movement that is away from the corruption and sin and, and even the pain and the suffering of this world and, and moving towards, uh, if we might say it this way, the heavenly places. And we'll see that in the most beautiful way in, uh, uh, in a moment with, with communion and yet and yet we're we're going somewhere and and by God's grace we can begin to see how and what this looks like and so we come to this first point then of how the Holy Spirit is at work positively moving us forward his people the the believers in God first and it's it's hearing he he helps us by hearing and this is the first part if you're looking for it in the word because remember this this is not my word. I am simply trying as best I can to reveal unto you with authority that which God is giving each and every one of you. You can find this. The first part of verse 13 then, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. When did you first hear the word of truth? And what does that mean? Uh, I I can tell you in my childhood several places where I heard the word of truth. Uh, when I was younger than a teenager, perhaps preteen, I have trouble placing it, uh, I was in a church setting where I heard the Bible read. That is the word of truth. But I did not believe. And so did I hear it or not? Time goes on and, and yet again I find myself uh, in a church, this time uh, Fayetteville ARP Church, a sister congregation to this one. And, and I heard the Bible read. 
I heard the truth proclaimed, the good news. And yet I still did not believe. But Sunday in and Sunday out, as I continued to listen, something happened. There was a hearing, but then there was a hearing. Does that make sense to you? If you are a believer, it does. Because, because as I was sitting under the preaching and the teaching of God's word, as, as the Holy Spirit began to do his work in, in, my, in my very soul, something, it wasn't just a click, it, it was a transformation. It was, as Jesus would say, being born again. It was, as, uh, as the Lord through Ezekiel would say, getting a beating heart rather than a stony heart that doesn't have life. It would be, as Paul says, uh, putting on the new man. It would be, as Paul says, putting on the new self. Something changed. And all of a sudden I could hear. And when I heard, I believed. That's our second point. And it's the second, really, the middle part of this first verse, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Because there is a hearing. In God's providence, you must be where the word is being read, where the word is being shared, where the word is being proclaimed in order to believe. Uh, there is, if you want to use the big terms and sound really fancy at your next dinner party, uh, uh, what, what the theologians would call ordinary revelation and special revelation. Ordinary revelation is the stars. When you look at the stars, who can, who can doubt that there is a God? Nature. I say when you look at strawberries. That's right. So y'all, maybe y'all remember this illustration. Why in the world uh, would nature, uh, if, if nature didn't have someone who created it, make so many different variations and colors and tastes of fruit? rather than one catch-all that birds like to eat and poop out and animals like to eat and do the same and that it might spread around and grow in a very mechanical and a very naturalistic way. A strawberry doesn't need to look like a strawberry to get the job done for Mother Nature. A grape does not need to have several variations of itself to get the job done and continue to procreate, as you might say, and flourish in certain areas of the world. But it does. The same is true for all fruits. You could do veggies if you're not a fruit person, right? You just don't have to have that. But God deigned it to be so. He chose to reveal a reality of something more in His creation. But it's still ordinary. I could believe that, man, something must be grander going on here. But I still haven't heard a word of truth. The gospel of my salvation. The strawberry cannot save me. Only the Lord Jesus can save me. And as Jesus came, he came preaching the word. He came fulfilling the word. He is, to quote John, the apostle, the Word made flesh who came to live and dwell among us. 
Not only that, but then he sends his disciples, now apostles, those with authority, to preach the word. And not only that, to found churches, that is, gathering of God's people, to found them on the word, that it might be proclaimed, and that the Spirit might do his work through the word. It's the will of God. There is a special revelation because you can hear by the stars, but you can't hear by the stars if you catch my drift. And yet when the word is read and when the spirit is doing his work, uh, the worst of preachers, right? You could, you could uh, hate my preaching style for all it's worth, right? You know, some people, some people love loud, some people love soft. Some people love technical. Some people love illustrations. Some people love war illustrations. Some people like sports illustrations. Some people like children. Some people don't. Some people, some people, some people, right? And it goes on and on. Uh, how in the world is a pastor supposed to try to save everybody? Well, it's very freeing when you begin to realize that you could be uh, the worst evangelist and still see many come to faith. Uh, Joel, uh, uh, Peter preached from Joel. And save 3,000 souls. <laughs> How many times have you heard a sermon that gripped you from the prophet Joel? Um, <laughs> just not your go-to text, right? Unless the Spirit is stirring and working in the people. In which case, every text is a go-to text. And you trust in Him. The Word will not return void. There, there is a hearing and a believing. And, and what is it that you're hearing? You know, Charles Spurgeon uh, has a famous quote. It's... it's misquoted and maybe not even from him, but it still holds pretty true. He says, uh, uh, wherever you find yourself in the Bible, uh, uh, make like a bee or make like a crow and go directly to the cross, right? Wherever you are, you make a direct beeline, right, to Jesus and the cross. In other words, wherever you find yourselves in the scriptures, you know one thing for sure. It's about Jesus, you know that uh, the, the silly illustration the pastor uses? He's holding an acorn and he says, hey y'all, you know, what loves to eat these things? It's got a bushy tail, it's gray, uh, it, it climbs on trees, you probably have them in your yard. And the kid says, well pastor, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like you're describing a squirrel, right? Uh, you, you know, it's, it, that that's, holds true. Of course a child might think that. Because a pastor worth his salt is always going to be beelining towards the Lord Jesus himself and his work for us. And the reason why is Luke chapter 24 where Jesus says all this stuff is about me. He said it. You can find that. It's not just something that I made up or our church made up. And so when you begin to see anywhere in the Word that there is capital P power and movement by the Spirit, that those who are really hearing by His work, by His encouragement, right, His shove, His plunge into the church where you take a dive where you maybe wouldn't otherwise. How many of y'all would have expected to find yourself in a Bible-believing, God-fearing church, if you just think back perhaps to the wild and crazy days or maybe you're in them right now, right? Who am I to judge? You, you see that? Well, at least it didn't catch fire. You, you see that reality that, that begins to bear out that, that it's the Spirit who's shoving and moving and encouraging and leading and walking alongside and comforting to the point where you hear 
and you believe. And those two things cross paths. And that lowercase hearing becomes capital H hearing. And that belief becomes tangible. But the verse isn't over. There's a third part to it. Because as, as a follower of God is led by the Spirit into hearing the Word and into, into coming into the kingdom, we might say, to, to believe in the Lord Jesus and the good news that He is proclaiming and fulfilling. There's something more that happens. And it's the Holy Spirit's sealing. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully many of y'all who have been with me for some of our other sermon series will uh, at least, this will tickle your memories, uh, where uh, we have dealt with signet rings in the past. Uh, Judah's ring, for instance, that he gave away, yeah, in kind of a sketchy way, if you want to remember that, you can go and find it. But he gives his signet ring, and remember I described it as if, uh, as if it would be me giving you my whole wallet, and it, I would be tucking in my social security card too, right? Credit card, driver's license, uh, social security card, that's the signet ring. I give it to you, right? And you'd say, I don't want the, whoa. you know, what do you mean? It carries that much weight and that much authority and that much power. And kings all the time and princes and lords, uh, uh, all of these different people would have these rings. You see it on TV sometimes, you know, uh, these fantasy TV shows or in books where they'll take the ring, they'll melt the wax, drop it onto the letter or parchment, and they'll take that ring and, and it'll look like a you know, whatever their house design is, you know, a knight, you know, with a horse or two crossed swords or, you know, whatever it is, right? And you know, oh, that's Jeremiah's seal. We know then that if it's not open, and this is coming, it's coming uh, with the authority, whatever that might be, of Jeremiah, right? I don't know what my seal should look like. Maybe we should get somebody to draw it out. A seal. And what we get here is, is that as the Spirit is doing His work, as the Spirit is stirring in you to, as I said, uh, give you life, what, whatever illustration from the words you want to use, to, to, to become alive through belief in the Lord Jesus, as that moment happens, a lot of other things begin to happen as well. It's like a chain reaction that can't be stopped. If you've ever set up dominoes uh, and you're not a professional domino placer like myself, uh, you would maybe forget to uh, be always aware that if you tip it, you've got to stop it or grab it, right? Because if you have hundreds and hundreds of dominoes placed and the reaction begins, it's over. Unless you sweep and usually you're too slow and it's done, right? And sometimes you're done after that. No more setting up the dominoes, right? But, you know, you see it. You can see it, the large videos of all the things going. And that's what happens with salvation. Because, because upon hearing, upon believing, as these things become uh, 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 not, they were already real, but, but as they become tangible, there is a sealing. Uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe His would look like a dove. Who knows? He signet rings you. He seals you. And, and that sealing comes with a guarantee, which is verse 14. 
I'll, I'll read 13 as well, so we really have the fullness of what's happening. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A couple things as we kind of really jam all of our points into this fourth and final, this guarantee moment by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is God. Uh, he is the third person, as we typically call, uh, the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, this is not something that uh, I have made up. It is something that God has revealed unto us that we might have a fuller conception of who God is and, and of what he is about. And so as we see, God the Father most naturally falls into uh, uh, these larger capacities of, uh, of uh, uh, creation and of power and of majesty, of infinite wisdom and plan. Uh, the Son, likewise, is typically seen as the one who is sent. The one who is willing not to count himself equal with God, though he is God, but, but to rather be humbled to the point of what we might call humiliation. Because he looks like a human. Because he is a human. 100% human and 100% God. Fully God and fully man. This, this Jesus, this, this promised one who will, who will fulfill salvation for God's people. The Messiah. The Savior, the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit then, uh, typically uh, we think of as like wind, for instance. And that's not just Jesus' words from John 3 when he says that the Holy Spirit is kind of like wind. He blows where he will. Uh, this comes from the Old Testament as well. Ruach is the word that we typically associate with the Holy Spirit in Hebrew. And, and that means Wind, right? It's a holy wind. And, and, and you begin to see that, that the Spirit truly is this moving, uh, uh, this moving reality of who God is. And, 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 and really, I think a better way for us to begin to conceive of, of the Holy Spirit, of how He has been revealed, is not to forget what Jesus says. That, that it's better for Him to go away. And, and it's better for Him to send the Holy Spirit. And, and, and who is the Holy Spirit? He's the comforter. Cum forte, right, Judy? With strength. Right? If you say to the choir, cum forte, you're going to sing with strength, loudly. Uh, the comforter, it's not like, uh, it, it's not like when I lay uh, my six-year-old daughter on her bed at night and I give her a snuggle comfort. It's like if a, a dog was coming after her and I ran and punched the dog in the face and then stood in front of her, comforting her with strength. I'm not afraid of a dog. She should be afraid of a dog. She's little. I'm not. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The comforter. The helper. Though he does lay us down so gently. 
as we see elsewhere. Because when we begin to try to conceive of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dare not begin to try to separate them into three gods because they are not three gods. They are one God. And so you see the Son, uh, for instance, in Colossians, is the one who holds up creation. Not the Father. That's a sign to the Son. We see that the Holy Spirit is this actor of salvation, and yet we know throughout all Scripture that, that God is the actor of salvation. But it's, it's true because the Holy Spirit is God. And, and it gets bigger and bigger and harder and harder for us to conceive. Surprise, surprise, because we're talking about God here, who is too big to fully comprehend, though he has given us himself that we might comprehend some. And if you recall from previous sermons here in Ephesians that, that we will have an eternity to try to get closer and closer to a full comprehension. And though we will never get there because God is infinity and we are finite in that sense, we will get closer and closer and closer and closer. And even the smallest blip of new knowledge about God will be so expansive to us in the kingdom of heaven that we will have another 10,000 years worth of praise for him. So says the word. And so here we see a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit goes about uh, as the actor of God in this case. He causes a hearing, capital H. He causes a belief. He seals us with the signet ring that we might walk through and into that heavenly place that we might stand there in judgment and be found not guilty. Because of what Jesus has done for us. He's taken away our sin. He's given us his righteousness. And we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's a big old mark, right? Revelation speaks of marks, doesn't it? And now there is a guarantee. Let's look at some application. First of all, hearing and believing is not the same. As the Lord is doing his work, there is a large continuum. And the church messes up a little bit on this, especially in the 21st century. Uh, we like to think that the pews are meant only for those uh, who have... And I'm not saying y'all do necessarily. We fall into this trap that, that we are supposed to somehow know everything before we come. And then we get confused when certain individuals walk through the door and have no idea what some things are. The reality is, is that the Holy Spirit is doing his work wherever the word is being proclaimed. We are not the ones who are to seek to cast judgment. We are not the ones who are to seek to uh, too overly seize on the responsibility of God. We are ones to be servants unto the Lord as believers in God. And, and so if we find ourselves on the path where we are hearing and we are believing, but we're maybe like that man with the son with the demon, as Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, Lord, I believe. Help me thou my unbelief. How much belief do you have to have to be saved then? What does that even mean? But the Spirit will give you the belief, even as He gives you the hearing. And that's what we typically in the South, though it can be found elsewhere in evangelical churches, uh, will speak of with our testimony. What we mean is, when did you really hear? 
And when did you really believe? That's what I mean, you know, when you hear somebody, well, give me your testimony, son. You know, you hear those language, right? I mean, it's so common, but that's the point, right? When did you really hear? When did you really believe? And, and if you hear testimony, if you hear witness bear out, uh, you know, James, you're up at Erskine, right? Uh, my wife and I, we loved RUF. You've been a part of that, right? The barn. Is the barn still going? Oh, I don't even want to look at him anymore. Uh, so I, I'm messing with James a little bit. So uh, up at Erskine, which is our denomination's college, uh, uh, the, uh, one of the college ministries has this cool barn. And up at the barn, you've got a lot of people from ARP churches. All right? They're coming up to RUF. They're already believers, right? Wrong. <laughs> and when they come in, here's the testimony when they come out. Yeah, I grew up with this stuff. And I didn't really take it too seriously. But now I do. Where were they believing and where were they not? Were they really not believers when they were confessing in the Lord Jesus Christ, for instance, after a communicants class? Did they become believers in college? Can you nail it down in your own life? If you grew up in the church especially, for the non-church like myself, we have it a little easier, right? So I'm like, yeah, I didn't know this stuff, now I do. Somebody's doing something in my soul, right? I mean, it's just, you know, for, that's what we are used to for the non-believer. But for the one who grows up in the church, it's much different. The continuum is longer than we want it to be. And, and there's this path that the Holy Spirit has, dare I say it, encouraging us along as we hear and as we get closer to belief. But we must be aware that hearing and believing are not the same thing. And we are to go about the hearing part as God's people who have believed. We don't need to seek out those believers. They'll come if they want to join. What we need is to be those who are about the hearing part. Sharing the gospel. Have you shared the gospel? Have you shared the gospel? Our second application. Your actions don't seal and guarantee you. God does. This is another fundamental misstep in the church nowadays. And guess what? It was happening uh, then. It happened in between. It's always happening, right? That we think we can somehow seal and guarantee ourselves. We can get that ink to dry on our own, cut the deal, and get right into heaven. And Jesus says that's a path right to hell. You must be very careful because your actions are never going to be enough. They will always be tinged by the breaking of God's commandments. The corruption and the sin, the suffering, it is too much. And we fall into it on our own. And so Jesus has come. And so the Holy Spirit does his work. And so God reveals himself in love to his people. We see the full and total rescue plan of God for his people. But we ignore it. And we think that uh, some uh, action for the church or, or some family ritual or something like that is going to get us there. But has it ever worked for you? Has it ever worked? I'm still waiting on someone to come and tell me that the stuff that we try to do to save us has saved somebody. I've been waiting my whole adult life. 
How easy would it be? And then finally we could say, like Paul, we were just fools. We were doing all this stuff, but it turns out Joe Schmo down the road has found it. A way for us to save ourselves if we just do whatever, X, Y, Z. If this is humbling and it's hard. It's hard when you think about it in the grand scheme of salvation. It's harder when you think personally because you begin to wonder why in the world is this, is this how it's bearing out. There's all this difficulty and yet you can do no other thing except to be encouraged down this road. If I might bear witness even through Carol as we were talking, of course this has been so hard. Of course. Her husband died unexpectedly but even with my conversations with her he's sealed and guaranteed by the spirit and so am I what am I supposed to do but hope I just can't stop hoping the Christian finds himself or herself in a moment where we can begin to bear witness to the Holy Spirit's working, his encouraging of his people. And yet too often we ignore it or we seek to go another way because we think to ourselves that we either have a better plan, which is silly because you're pitting yourself against God, or that it's going to be easier, which is silly because God has given us the right and real path. There is no easy way about it. Your actions don't seal and guarantee you. God does. But before you assent and say yes and amen, do your actions and assent match? It's very important. Of utmost important importance to the Christian. So what about that book of Esther? What is the real point? I think the point is that the Holy Spirit is at work through his people. You know, there is a family, there is beauty, uh, there is intrigue, uh, there is soap opera style drama that plays itself out in a way that you think, how in the world can this be true until you stop and look around at your own life and you begin to realize, wow, yeah, that's real life. I could see how that could work. And, and what you begin to see is that parts and pieces have been laid out so intricately that it, it's like the strawberry, but more. Because all of a sudden, what you see is the Lord Jesus himself being revealed. The plan is so dynamic and so obvious that upon second and third and fourth reading, God is in every line. And the reality of the Spirit's movement cannot be denied. This is Esther chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, this, is a, this is an unbelieving king. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. This is a worldly and sinful king who put his stamp on the edict and it could not be revoked. When God puts his stamp on your very soul, it just cannot be revoked. No matter if you claw 
no matter if others claw, no matter what turmoil and temptation and sin comes your way. When the Holy Spirit seals you, it is, for a fact, guaranteed. And for this, we are encouraged and we rejoice in the Lord at the Holy Spirit's work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to hear, for giving us belief, for sealing it, and for guaranteeing us. God, as we come in just a moment to witness these things tangibly, I pray that you would continue to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.